Welcome to DevCast Culture. I'm your host, Sherry Elliott, and today we will be discussing mental health awareness. Joining me in the discussion, I have with me today a special guest, Damian McCombs. He has been a resilience trainer slash coach for the Department of State, Center of Excellence in Foreign Affairs Resilience, and he is the owner and founder of Building Wellbeing and Resilience and Increasing Human Performance. We also have Emma Antonios, who's the VP of HR at Dev Technology, and John Janik, Chief Technologist at Dev Technology. Welcome, everyone. Hi, Sherry. Hey, Sherry. Hey, Sherry. Thank you for having me. All right. So I'm excited about this topic. This month is Mental Health Awareness Month, and mental health is something that I think is very important for many reasons. And I'm excited that we're actually having an opportunity to have the conversation And also that, you know, we're actually as a whole, as a community and as a culture, we're bringing mental healthness more to the forefront and people are talking about it more publicly. And it's very important because each year about one in five American adults will experience some form of a mental health crisis. And so, but the problem is, is that people suffer in silence rather than seek help because They don't want to use their jobs, their families, or society in general just have this stigma associated with it. And so that in time, you know, makes people hesitant to actually want to come forward and say that they're having any type of mental health crisis. So Damien, what does mental health mean to you? Well, thank you, Sherry. When we talk about mental health, as you said, it is a very important topic and term that we talk about today. And the way that I look at mental health and I define it is mental health is a term that is often, as we know, frequently used in multiple contexts and settings. And mental health, much like uh, resilience, really has no single definition or meaning. It's universally accepted. And I think that's why the way I define it is something different from everyone is Mental health is, to me, a part of our overall health. It falls within our the five pillars of our health triad. And that's the way that I talk about mental health. I like to say that a mental health is how we act, think, learn, and respond mentally and emotionally to the situations and events that happen in our life. And it's so good that you gave that. I like that explanation and definition because a lot of times when people think about mental health, They think of something where you need medication or you need to be hospitalized. And it's not as simple as that. It's not as black and white as that. You know, it's a lot of variance to it. What do you think about that, John? I agree with everything you and Damien have said so far. When we think about mental health over the past, what, two decades, three decades or so, there's been a lot of emphasis on physical health and all the different things we do to increase physical health and all these great and exciting new trends like CrossFit. And I mean, there's, it seems like every week there's a new way of exercising and method training, all kinds of different ways of how do you increase your physical resilience and your physical health. And I think of mental health in terms of the same concept. You know, there's a whole human performance study being done by the military at the moment where they're really looking at how do we sustain performance of the human body over a long period of time. And I choose to think of mental health in the same way in that We want healthy engagement from us as individuals, from us as teams, from us as organizations. And to do that, you know, there's a lot of different components to that, but all organizations, you know, so I tend to look at this from a slightly broader perspective at an organizational level, organizations are made up of the people that are in the organization, right? And so if we want healthy organizations, we need healthy people. 
that's not only physical health, that's also mental health. And that to your point, right, that doesn't mean you have a condition or a disease or something like that. If you've gotten to that point, then we failed in, in our mission to make sure we have a healthy organization. I always say, look back to your fondest memories at an earlier point in your life when you didn't have fear, when you were curious about everything, when you wanted to go out and explore. And for many of us, you know, that was a probably as a child, as a teenager, into our early 20s, maybe. And those are the peak times when you had like maximum mental health in my perspective, because you didn't have all those concerns and worries and other things weighing down on you, causing intense stress. And, and as we've learned even more recently, there's a lot that can affect you physically as well, right? So I totally agree with everything Damon said, and, and that's how I tend to see it. So thanks, Sherry. Oh, yeah, that's great. I mean, and even with the young folks, so you're saying back in the day, we didn't have the same things as teenagers. But when I was reading this article, it actually said that between the ages of 14 and 18 in today's climate, that most teens as well are experiencing mental health crises. And so I think at that point, that's the point where we now probably need to start trying to catch them right before they get to the workforce and go to college. And then, you know, it only gets more difficult as you go forward in life. And so, Emma, what do you think about that? How would you describe mental health? I'm sure you're looking at it from a different perspective, not just from every day, but also from a corporate perspective. I really believe that mental health on a personal and organizational level is a positive thing. I think we spend a lot of time talking about mental health gone wrong, and we don't focus enough on what good mental health looks like. From an organizational perspective, I think it's important to create programs and opportunities that support positive mental health. Good mental health is the ability to recognize, express, and regulate our emotions. So it allows us to empathize with others and allows us to develop and use those social skills. So I think it's positive mental health at work that helps us cope with changing roles and responsibilities, not to mention difficult challenges. It helps us grow in our roles, manage stress, and boosts our resilience. I think good mental health is what allows us to reach our highest potential. So to answer your question, Sherry, while it's important to have measures in place to help team members once they are facing a mental health crisis, I also believe that the majority of our focus needs to be in finding proactive solutions and creating an environment that helps avoid work being a major contributor to poor mental health. All right. Okay. That was great. So Damien, let me ask you, because when I read your title, it said resilience trainer, and I have to admit that I actually had to go and look that up to see what a resilience trainer was. So can you tell us what that is? Sure. Thanks, Sherry. And that's the thing is people don't really know too much about resilience trainers because it's not really a sought after specialty and not really a well-known specialty that's out there, but they play a vital role in the overall performance of an individual and a team. And so a resilience trainer is just essentially an individual that is trained and certified in resilience. Now, I think something that's important for us to understand is that these individuals are not always mental health professionals or trained psychologists. And I think that that's often the misconception, especially around resilience instructors or coaches and trainers, is that they have to be mental health professionals. And that's not really the, the case because these resilience trainers do not work as therapists or as psychologists. These are individuals who are trained on specific skills that help individuals to be able to thrive with different situations and things that happen in life. It's important for us 
to define and understand that truly, because like I always say is these are a vital people that are embedded in people's organizations. I'll say it again. We're not a therapist. We don't diagnose what we are capable in doing. We understand the signs of when someone isn't coping well. We understand the, the signs of when someone doesn't bounce back fluidly. But what these trainers are, they are skilled in helping to increase an individual and team's overall health and performance. And that's by applying the set of skills that you're trained on to be able to help everyone to be able to cope in a much better way. So basically, you're just like an added addition. It sounds like a little bit of life coaching, but on a more corporate level, because is it that you worked specifically with businesses in this arena or is it one on one individuals? How does that generally work when you have a resilience trainer? Uh, so with, within the resilience training realm, you have what are called trainers and then you have what are called facilitators and coaches. So your trainers are the people that's all they do is do the resilience training part of it. So they do the training of the skills or training on resilience. Your facilitators are more people who facilitate coaching of mechanisms around resilience. They work with leaders for coaching resilience within the team, within the organization. Those facilitators are also there to provide that one-on-one construct and help develop more resilient programs within the organization or a community. So it's kind of a twofold when you're talking about a resilience trainer and a facilitator. But yes, in a sense, they do provide one-on-one support for individuals, but they also provide a great resource for organizations, teams, and, and communities. Because as we know, we don't just face adversity or trauma or setbacks from the individual base. We also face it collectively. So the resilience of everyone is important too. Yes, absolutely. I know with the pandemic, even more so people are dealing with all types of mental health crises, situations and stress. And so although, you know, people do talk about it more today than they ever have, what are the things that we can use to actually identify that someone it might be having a mental health episode? Like what are some of the signs? So what are the things that we could be looking for as, you know, individuals and as a company to say, oh, this particular person or employee may be in distress of some form or fashion? I think first and foremost, how do we define what is a mental health episode? Because again, there's only select people that can identify or quantify what is a mental health episode. Because you really don't see when someone is suffering through something as when we talk about mental health. And that's the thing that I try to caution a lot of people on, because especially with diagnosing someone. Because again, unless you are a trained professional, then we really won't see when someone is having a mental health episode. And I think that's important. And I think it's what constitutes someone having an episode. And I think one thing I share with people is just because a person has a single event that they're unable to cope with, that doesn't mean that they're struggling with their mental health. That just means that they're just not coping well with that particular thing, right? But I think in our society today, we automatically assume that someone is struggling with mental health because they're not able to cope it the way that they used to, or they're finding problems with adjusting to a situation. So what I tell people is, or what I like to share is that when we're talking about what do we look for, first of all is 
we have to be aware of those around us. And that's the first key. It's one of our resilience competencies, which is self-awareness, but not just awareness in ourselves, but in awareness of others. Because if we don't pay attention to our colleagues, then we would never know when they're struggling. We're looking for multiple patterns of change. And I gave you an example. So if you notice an individual who normally comes in and they're very cordial, they often, they greet everyone every day. They're the first to greet a person when they come in the door or when you see them. They always are very lively early in the morning or just in general. But then over, I would say a few days or so, you start to notice that when they come in, their attitude is not the way that it used to be. And you're starting to notice it more and more as days go on. So you're starting to see a pattern. I think that's important in what we're talking about. We want to identify a pattern in an individual that's demonstrating change. It could be a change in appearance, change in communication, change in their work, because there's an underlying issue or situation that's going on that's causing this individual to not perform or respond the way that they used to. And that's why we we talk about in resilience, that circumstance, context, and time, because those are factors that play into our mental health. So looking at these patterns of change is a great identifiable point for us when we're talking about what do we look for when someone is having a mental health crisis? Because again, as untrained professionals, we're not trained to identify with those. But what we are trained in is the human element. So we know when our colleagues come in and they're not their normal self. When we start to see patterns, that red light will come on and you'll start to notice. Because what I teach in my team resilience to leaders, especially, oftentimes is having that conversation that will help draw out what actually is a problem. Because we sometimes initially go off what we see and we think it's one thing when all nationality is something completely different. All right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're absolutely right. We're not trained professionals. And you, like you said, you don't have a medical degree. So you, you want to move with caution as you look for identifiable signs. But even more so thinking about, so that's how externally I can look at, say, you and say, oh, potentially Damien may be having a mental health crisis or some stress scenario. But then it's the thing of me, myself, what if no one else identifies it? Like, how do I ask for help? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. What do people put in place to be able to do that? Come forward and say, hey, I think I might need some assistance. How do we get people to feel comfortable with that, to do that? What kind of programs do you have in place? One thing that we can put in place is, number one, having someone like a resilience coach in your life or in your organization. And the purpose for that is so that they can do that assessment with you. And again, they're not psychologists and they're not therapists. However, they are trained in identifying these things through assessments. And that's what we talk about. How are you coping with the situation? How have you been developing going forward? Are you struggling with moving forward? And we'll start to ask the what questions to try to draw out those underlying things that the person isn't seeing in themselves, but also those on the outside looking in do not see it as well. And then the next thing after having that resilience coach or having someone within your organization that's trained in resilience is then having that next pillar, which is that support system from a mental health professional or a therapist. Right. Emma, what are the things that we can do at the organization to, one, help identify folks that may be having a mental health crisis? And what types of programs does Dev Technology offer in general to help support those who themselves may feel they're having an issue or if we think that someone we work with is having an issue? 
If an employee is in crisis at Dev, whether that stems from work or personal issues, we are committed to supporting our team members. To that effect, during the pandemic, we pivoted to 100% remote work posture and also promoted flexibility across the organization to help everyone navigate the challenges around balancing work and home in this new environment. We also implemented Flexible Time Off last year, which is an unlimited time off program to allow employees to make decisions about the time off they need to support their well-being and that of their families without worrying about accruing the time off they need each pay period. In addition, we rolled out a more robust organizational wellness program. We also added a behavioral telehealth option to our medical plan a wellness reimbursement program, a home office reimbursement program, and we doubled our time off for parental and volunteer leave. At Dev, we try to take a holistic approach to supporting good mental health. While there's certainly work to be done, Dev is without a doubt committed to providing team members with the tools to help support them in their mental health journey. What do you think, John? How do you feel about this topic? Yeah. So I think Damien gave some really great advice and I think Emma gave some really interesting you know, perspectives on it. Obviously, as a member of the dev family here in the company, we have lots of resources to tap into for that moment where you just can't take it anymore. I think what's really interesting and where Damien might have some more interesting insights is stepping back for a minute and saying, if we do this right, right? And this is what resilience is all about in my mind, right? If we are cultivating a culture of understanding and empathy and inquisitiveness and curiosity and humanity, all those things that really make us us, then it will change those conditions under which we will see those kinds of breaking points, hopefully reduce them significantly. At least that's what all the science seems to indicate. My thinking on this is that we don't, and especially in technology, right? So I'm going to take this from a very technologist-centric point of view. The pandemic, and this is, again, all over the news right now, the pandemic has been absolutely terrible to technologists just in general, right? Everybody thought that you know, oh, the geeks of the world just absolutely love the pandemic. No, they hated it, right? They hated it because they were being worked twice as hard as everybody else because they had particular skills and abilities that were needed during this time. They were needed to innovate. They were needed to get to the next level. They were needed because everybody else was shut down. And the cost of working in truly asynchronous environments for organizations who are not by nature asynchronous, there's a huge cost in shifting how you work, right? So, you know, technologists as a demographic, as a population set, have been enormously strained by everything that's gone on over the past few years. And when I'm thinking about what's being said here, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, and all throughout this time, Dev in particular does a really good job being empathetic and listening and participating. But, you know, I don't know as a community, as a technology community, broadly speaking, if we acknowledged it soon enough. And my general sense of it is, and Damien, you can jump in here and correct me if I'm wrong, right? But my general sense of it is, if it's getting to the point where, you know, you're seeing it consistently in the press, then it's gone too far. And we haven't gotten ahead of it. And we haven't talked it through and really done the sorts of things that have been interesting. And this is why, like, from my perspective, resilience training these kinds of approaches are so important because medical professionals are limited both in number, right? There aren't a ton of them and in an availability, either by cost or, or scope or, or whatever, right? But there are an increasing number of coaches, although I won't say there's a lot of them either. But you have people like Damien, you have people like Beth Payne, right? Who come from backgrounds of high stress, high intensity environments and have learned techniques, traits, abilities, how to cope 
what to look for, as you pointed out, you know, Damien and Sherry, how you talk about your colleagues, how do you work with teams, how do you sensitize yourself to those environments. And this is really, really important, especially when we talk about at the organizational side of the coin, how do I sustain, feed, and care for high-performing teams? Because especially high-performing teams and especially in big organizations carry disproportionate workload, right? That's just a fact. And so you've got to think through all this stuff and you've got to really focus on how do I sustain that mental performance, not for peak utilization, but when the peak comes, it doesn't break. And I think that's what we're, we're seeing a lot of trends, right? We're seeing just kind of the fallout in the technology community from all this intense sustained pressure. And it's not been the first time that this sort of thing's happened, right? And so you've seen it in other population sets as well, but I think it's the first time in a long time we've seen it from the technology. You've always heard it like in game development, for example, for a long time, there was a lot of pressure on that group. Recently, that started to change a few years ago. And the industry, I don't think has really changed because they managed to pull in enough people that are always churning. But, you know, now it's kind of spread to the rest of the technologists as a population set. And so we really have to deal with this seriously, because if we don't, those folks are just going to pick up and they're going to go somewhere else, right? There's plenty of jobs in the marketplace, although I may be changing, who knows, but, you know, right now things can change very quickly for someone and we need technology more than ever right now. So we're trying to figure out new ways of working and maintaining competitive advantage in a vastly complex global environment. We need technologists now more than ever. And so to facilitate that, we also need technologists who are safe, who are happy, who are mentally prepared for those short bursts of stress, but then have the ability to be resilient and recover and continue on. So that's just my thinking on it, that I think that if we get to the point where there's a crisis, it's gone too far. And we really need to step back and think more long-term about how do we approach these issues. And Sherry, you mind if I add something to what John just Absolutely. John, thank you for mentioning that because I think it's something that I mentioned a lot is that when we talk about resilience, resilience is not what comes after the crisis. And many of us in the industry have, have tried to get people to understand that resilience is a tool that you use before the crisis happens. So that when it does happen, okay, now you're able to do your own self-assessment because you're able to utilize the skills that were taught to you. And then if those skills don't work, then you know, okay, I need to go see someone because the skills that I were taught and mastering myself, they aren't working right now. And I need further support. And I think that's the beauty of resilience, but we don't really talk about it in that sense. We have to have the conversation around these things because it's important to the overall health, not just the mental health. When you notice change in your diet, you seek a nutrition. When you get a cough, you go to the doctor. You don't question it. You go to the doctor. But when we talk about these mental health or whatever, we tend to back away because of the stigma. And we have to change the stigma around mental health. Just because you go see someone doesn't mean that you're broken. It doesn't mean that you're sick. It just means that you're trying to better yourself. You're trying to equip yourself for the next time a crisis happens or the next time that you experience an adversity, that you're able to bounce back better than what you did before. And I think that that's what's important for people to understand. And the thing I always say, you are investing in yourself. And I think that's the key. 
That's definitely the key. And I also think that if we keep having these conversations to make people feel comfortable, that's, I think, a big portion of why people don't want to make this type of investment. To your point, Damien, you know, folks who are willing to change their nutrition and they feel that they need to lose weight or if they are consuming something that's causing some other medical issues, it's, oh, no problem. People are willing to make adjustments when things seem a particular status quo, but because there is a stigma associated with mental health and people still have trepidation about it even today about speaking up and saying that I'm feeling overwhelmed or stressed or whatever but I think the more that we as a community and as a company and organizations talk about it more and more whether people are coming now or not we talk about it more and more it lets people feel like oh I'm not an anomaly this is kind of the norm like I'm not the only one that have these thoughts and experiences so that's definitely needed so what do you think about that Emma? I think that it's not just important to talk about mental health triggers and challenges, but it's imperative. Kind and engaging communication and management practices are essential to employee well-being. And ignoring workplace issues can cause a strain on relationships, create poor mental health, and increase workplace stress. So conversations about mental health should be encouraged. It's this open communication that eliminates stigma and allows the organization to learn more about what employees and their families need. Okay, so I totally agree with you. And like I said, it just basically ties together with what everyone else has been saying. And I think that more companies need to be more proactive in what it is that they're doing, which has basically been the theme of what we've been saying today. John said it a couple of times, we get to the point of crisis, we've gotten too far. And so what are some of the things that Dev is doing? We have a plethora of things that we've mentioned, we've said it in general, but what can Dev employees do if they are seeking some additional mental health support while they're working here with the company, Emma? Outside of the internal programs and resources Dev provides to employees, Dev employees can also participate in external wellness training programs paid for by Dev or work with our consultants, NFP, who provide a wealth of resources around physical, mental, and financial well-being. Employees at Dev also have access to an employee assistance program. We also encourage employees to share ideas and make recommendations for programs or tools to help enhance the employee experience through our open door policy, and frequent employee pulse surveys and focus groups. I think the most important thing employees can do is to express what they need from their teams, from their managers, and the organization as a whole. It is only through this open communication that we can continue to improve the employee experience. Okay, and Damien, what do you think? What do you have? What kind of programs that we can do to get this conversation out before people get to crisis point? Yeah, I think number one is dedicate time in your schedule to focus on skills within dev that would be suitable to your environment. What are some of the common setbacks you all face within your organization? And then try to work like with someone like myself that could give you some skills. And you guys do that as a collective group so that now when that comes about again, leaders are able to assess how the team has responded individuals can access how they've responded, have they responded differently than what they would have in the past based on that level of training. And I think that's the first step is incorporating a quarterly or biannual one day or half a day training session to focus on something that will help boost. I won't say the resilience because you won't know the resilience of your organization until after the event has happened and as it's going on, because you will see how people are thriving and 
Because that was the thing about COVID, were you thriving or were you struggling? So the next thing I would say is if you don't have one already, build yourself a wellness and resilience committee because that helps, number one, to create different opportunities and workshops that will help boost not only the morale of the organization, but it also will boost the performance because our mental health is one component of your performance triad. You have your five other elements that play a very important part to your overall health in the workplace. So building that resilience, that wellness and resilience committee will allow the organization to have this group of people that are there to help support Dev from your own standpoint, because your adversities are common to your group. So your resilience as a team is going to be different than another company. So it's creating those tools that is specific to death. Utilize a resilience committee because that way, when you do have a crisis, you already have it. It's a great component to have in your crisis management. And then the other thing is just in your training, make resilience in these conversations a part of your habit. Yeah, definitely has to be a part of our very being. John, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. So I think tools like that, for somebody like me, and, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but, you know, Damon, you mentioned getting the training built into the program, and that's a really important part of it. For many of us at Dev, training is is a challenge anyway, right? So we're all working on government contracts, we're all doing delivery. And so even just having that reminder, right? So what's the thing that we always talk about in physical fitness, right? It's consistency, it's getting up every single day and making sure you get on the bike, And even if you can't do 45 minutes, you do 10 or 15, right? It's just consistently delivering something to show that you've got that habit. And I I view resilience through the same frame, that building resilience means practicing those reflective techniques to understand what's happening with me, what's happening with my team, and how do I respond to that? You know, Sherry, internal to the company too, we use uh, Arbiter Institute training to teach some of our leaders, and I know that's slowly being rolled out to the rest of the manager group and, and I think some of the program managers as well, that really focuses again on how do I objectively step out of what's going on and critically look at what's happening in order to understand what are the dynamics involved? What's going on? What's holding me back? What's holding the other person back? How do we work together to find common ground? These are all the kinds of techniques that you need to be proficient at maybe not master, right? Mastery over these techniques and diplomacy, there's this long arcing conversation around, you can spend your entire life being a diplomat and you're still not done, right? Because it's just a constantly evolving art. And I think that's true of just about everything. So don't target mastery, right? You got to, again, I look at this from the physical perspective as well. You got to start somewhere. So start with those weekly reminders of, hey, here's a skill. Here's something you can do. Here's a way, pick a book up out of the book club for the month. Think about, am I really listening this month? Am I being reflective enough? Am I making sure to take breaks? I know one of the common things that that Beth's talked about, I'm sure Damon, you talk about this a lot, even learning when to say no, right? And this goes back to some of our agile capacity conversations, which is like the single biggest thing when we talk about agile development, agile planning, agile execution is understanding what your capacity limits look like. Because from a purely structural standpoint, When we exceed our capacity limits, bad things happen to the organization, right? And so the more we understand and the more nuance we have around what our capacity limits are, the more we can control the work that goes into those 
pipelines and the better the product will be. And I realize that's a very kind of cold way of looking at it. But the reality is, is that we can be human, we can be humane, we can be personable, and we can be reflective and understanding, and still understand that we have these deliverables, we have these outputs that we're trying to achieve, we have this thing that we're trying to accomplish in the world, and marry those two together. So that's kind of how I look at it. And we're very much, from my perspective, in an awareness stage where we're bundling all these different things up that we've heard over the last couple of decades and saying, look, you do all these different things because the outcome that we want is resilience. The thing that we want to create is an environment where when we do exceed our capacity limits, the entire organization doesn't fall down. And dev traditionally has done very, very well because we are very people-centric. We are having those conversations. But to be able to put a label on it, a container on it, and say, like, this is how we build resilience in our organization, I think for me is the real innovation that's come out of the last, you know, Damien, how long has this been going on now? What, 10 years, 15 years or so? Does that sound right? That is correct. That's just how I look at it, that I think these two things all kind of come together to help organizations get to where they need to go, to help individuals understand where they are, where their colleagues are, and how to continue to perform in a way that is safe, healthy, and meaningful. Absolutely. I totally agree. This has been a very good topic. I mean, like I said, we need to keep shining a light on it. I'm excited now, not just us, but in general, people are starting to realize that it's okay if you need someone to talk to. It's okay if you need to take a step back. It's okay if you're feeling overwhelmed. It's like you said earlier, John and both Damien, if it's when you get to the point where you're in a crisis that we have failed and you know it's gotten too far. But we have to feel comfortable. And I think the continually having the conversations and organizations continually to create programs and work with resilience trainers and coaches along with, you know, other entities, then this will help us to be able to cope and manage our already overcomplicated, stressful lives. And so I thank you all for joining me today. And I am Sherry Elliott, your DevCast Culture, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.